Father, in this letter, we have a wonderful story. A story of reconciliation and grace and love and forgiveness that the gospel brings. And more than this, we see the story of redemption of children under the Father. So please, Lord, change us and cause us to worship you in a deeper way as a result of this letter today. We pray this for our sake and your glory. Amen. Well, what a touching letter uh, that this letter is, Philemon. Uh, As I I read it, I hope you've kind of been flashing back to Colossians. A few weeks ago, we finished uh, the series in the book of Colossians. uh, And at the very end of the book of Colossians, we read of two postmen uh, who delivered the letter to the church. And one was Tychicus, who uh, encouraged their hearts. And the other was Onesimus. Uh, And we didn't talk much about Onesimus at that time, but we're going to talk a lot about him today. Uh, what we also know uh, is, that, is, like I mentioned, Colossians wasn't the only letter that was dropped off. There was another letter made. There was another ring. Uh, we presume this letter was probably given straight to Philemon. Uh, and here it is, though, read to us today, which tells us a couple of things. Uh, one is, we don't know the result of this letter. We actually don't know if Philemon did uh, what Paul asked him to do. But I have a hunch that the fact that this letter has been circulated is that it, it happened. Uh, so that's my, my belief. I think that Philemon actually did uh, what was asked of him. Uh, we find out in the first two verses uh, that this letter was written to Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, and the church. You see that, those, uh, those names there. Uh, so Philemon... Aphia was, uh, was likely to be Philemon's wife. And uh, we've also got Archippus. You, you may remember uh, at the end of Colossians that Archippus had a specific word given to him. Uh, Archippus could be one of two people, so I'll just tell you these theories. Um, either he's a senior leader in the church, or it could be that Archippus is Philemon and Aphia's son. I actually think that might be the case. I think it might be that Archippus is the son of Philemon because um, the letter is addressed to Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the church. So it just seems to me like that's a household. Uh, so it makes sense to me that, yeah, that this is a letter written to the household of um, Philemon, uh, which, you know, that's where the church in Colossae meets in Philemon's house. So it's got implications for the church as well. And there are three figures in the letter today that we need to make sure we know about so that we don't get lost in the story. So we'll just go through these three key figures uh, and, uh, and we'll keep going. So the first, of course, is Paul. Now, he doesn't need any introduction. Uh, one of the writers of the New Testament wrote letters all, all around the place. We find out in the letter that he's an old man, so he's coming towards the end of his life. Uh, but also he's in prison and he's writing to the church of, in Colossae uh, so he's, he's written to Colossians and to Philemon, but they're both the same church. Uh, so the, the second key figure is Philemon. Uh, Philemon, as I mentioned, is the person that the letter is addressed to in verse 1. And the Colossian church meets in Philemon's home. So just remember that. So Philemon's, uh, Philemon is deeply invested in the church in Colossae to the point where they gather in his house. Um, the gospel didn't come to Colossae through Paul. That's something we know, right? It came to Colossae through Epaphras. 
and Epaphras went in the church. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Paul doesn't know some of the people in the Colossian church. Uh, so from what we can tell, Paul and Philemon actually knew each other. They, they knew each other and they would have worked together at some point, uh, probably in Ephesus. Uh, to give you an example uh, of how close Colossae and Ephesus are, it's like the east and west of Melbourne. Uh, so they're pretty close and it's likely that they worked together at some point. Uh, I mention this because we need to know that Philemon and Paul know each other. We need to know that this isn't a cold letter. This is not just a letter where Paul writes to Philemon and Philemon's like, who, who are you? They have a relationship. Uh, and we're told in verse 7 and 20 that Philemon is a refresher of hearts. Uh, what a great name, by the way. Um, in the original language, that term refresher, the, the origin um, of the meaning would be to refresh the heart of the saints. It, it's thinking about what you would do after an army drill. Uh, so after a group in the army performs a drill, they'd need refreshment. They would need recuperation because they were exhausted. That's the sense um, of refreshing his hearts. It's like you've done something quite exhausting and you need something to re-energize you. Uh, so, so Philemon is an encourager. He's an encourager. During the day-to-day -day of being a Christian in Colossae, feeling the exhaustion of the persecution, uh, feeling the exhaustion and weariness of, of the pressure surrounding the church, Philemon would come in and encourage the church. He would refresh them. And the final key figure, we've got Paul Philemon. Here's the final key figure, Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Now, before we go any further, remember slavery in the New Testament. We talked about this a lot a few weeks ago. It's not the same as what we think of when we think of slavery. It's, it's not 19th century slave trade, racial slavery, uh, um, cruelty, William Wilberforce, that kind of thing. It's very different. In Colossae, uh, about a third of the population were slaves. And it was not just one colour. It was every colour. Uh, every person uh, was probably represented. It was very diverse. Uh, there was no racial prejudice at all in slavery in the Bible. There was two reasons you would be a slave. One, you were a prisoner of war and you were captive. Or two, you ran out of money and you sold yourself into slavery. And so what kind of slave was Onesimus? Uh, have a quick look at verse 11. Paul says of Onesimus that formerly he was useless, but is now useful. That Paul mentions this tells us a bit about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, probably not great. Uh, Onesimus, his name means useful. And Philemon thought Onesimus was useless. Perhaps uh, Onesimus was a troublemaker. Perhaps he was lazy. Perhaps he was dishonest. Uh, the irony of his name meaning useful, but his owner thinking him useless. And so um, what we find out in this story is that Onesimus runs away from his master. Uh, he probably steals from him in the process. We don't have any reference to him stealing, apart from the fact that a slave has nothing. And if he runs away, he needs something. So it's likely that he stole from his master. And if a slave um, stole from the master in this time, 
the, the maximum punishment was death. Uh, so Onesimus essentially owes Philemon his life uh, unless the master spares the slave. So there are big consequences for Onesimus running away and stealing from his master. But in the process of running away, Onesimus meets Paul and meets Jesus. Uh, he becomes a Christian and starts working alongside Paul. Paul mentions in verse 13 that he would be glad to keep Onesimus. Uh, but instead, he tells Onesimus to go back to Colossae and to go back to his old master. Even just at a small glance, um, this letter contains issues that I'm sure Philemon would have preferred were kept private. Uh, I'm not sure how involved you've been in churches, but in a small church community, it's pretty hard to keep things private, isn't it? It was true then too. This is true of Colossae too. Uh, a lot of things were out in the open. Paul knows the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon will affect the church in Colossae. He knows that this relationship is going to affect the church directly. But more than that, it's going to affect the whole church movement for the gospel. Uh, in our church, uh, we've said this a lot of times, we want to see a movement happen in this area. We want to be a gospel-centered, word-focused community that's on mission. So we want to see people saved for Jesus. We want to see uh, a movement happen where we are effectively used for Jesus. And that begs an important question, really, doesn't it? How do movements happen? How do you get Clyde and Clyde North being a place with no churches to being a place where Christianity is represented and valued? How do you get there? How do you get from Paul being killed in Rome to Rome becoming the capital of Christianity? How do you get there? How do you get there? You get movements by churches that actually live and believe the gospel. That's how you get there. You get movements by things like what unfolds in this story. And what happens in this letter is so big, it's so astounding, so amazing, it's going to affect the whole church movement for the gospel. Because what, in a nutshell, is Paul asking Philemon to do? Paul's asking Philemon to do what Jesus has done for him, to forgive his slave, to embrace his slave. How in the world would Philemon be able to embrace a slave in this world? But that's what Paul's asking him to do. He's, he's asking him to embrace a brother and a fellow believer. Notice that in the whole letter, Paul doesn't actually ask Philemon to do this. In fact, in verses 8 and 9, have a look at verses 8 and 9, Paul says, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you what is required, but Paul knows he could make Philemon do it, but he doesn't. Why? He wants to know if the theory has become practice. He wants to know if the gospel's actually changed Philemon's heart. He wants to know if Philemon's faith is genuine and real, Paul wants Philemon, in verse 9, to want to love his former slave, the one who stole from him. Paul wants Philemon to see that Onesimus is no longer 
the person he used to be. In verse 11, again, the man returning to, this, to his master was useless, but is now his name. He is now useful. Paul says, I'd like to keep him, but I know that he needs to return to you. I'm sending my heart back to you. Uh, I'm sending someone I've grown so close to that I would call him my son and I know he's wronged you and I'm sending him back. And what's even more remarkable than this, have a look at verses 15 and 16. For this, perhaps, is why Anismus was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but a brother. Paul assumes that in Anisimus running away, the whole situation happened for good. That Philemon uh, would know that Anisimus ran away would have hurt. You know, him being a Christian, try, trying to do good by his slave, it would have hurt. Paul wants to give Anisimus back, but Anisimus is not to be seen the way that he used to be. No longer a slave, but family. What does a movement do? This is what a movement does. This is what the gospel does. This is where the rubber hits the road, where theory meets practice, where you practice what you preach. This is radical. In fact, look even closer. Paul describes Anisimus, this runaway slave, the same way he describes Philemon. He calls them both brother. And as a brother... Anisimus should be considered even dearer to Philemon. I want you to think about the fact that this letter would have been read in front of the whole church. It would have been. Everyone is in the living room and it's being read. And everyone's listening. And everyone's watching Philemon. And they're watching Anisimus. Looking at the runaway slave. We, we know what his character is like trying to get their heads around the fact that Paul is saying, treat him the same way you treat everyone else in the room. This runaway slave? Yes, this runaway slave. Paul is pressing into how well they actually know the gospel, isn't he? What, what do you really think, Philemon, about the world? What do you really think about the death and resurrection of Jesus? Is it just an event that you thought happened and now that's over with and we get back with our lives? No, no, no. Everything changes because of the gospel. Everything changes because of Jesus' death and resurrection. When Jesus died and rose again, there was a power that was unleashed in the world, the power of the Holy Spirit that is changing people's hearts. And it changes hearts. The old is passing away and the new is coming. That's what the Bible says. The slave is your family. And not just for a time, forever. Paul, Philemon, and Anisimus aren't just three different people with three jobs and three statuses. They are family. It is radical, isn't it? How could this happen? How can they be family? They can only be family if God exists. They can only be family if Jesus was God. They can only be family 
If Jesus actually did what he said he would do, if he took away sin and restored relationships with God, and now they can call God Father, the only way they can truly be family is if the gospel is real, is if the good news is actually real. And Philemon, it starts in your living room. You need to walk across the room to your former slave, the one who ran away from you, the one who stole from you, and hug him. You need to treat him like your family. Philemon is being asked to see what he can't see. Understand that Colossians 3.11, which would have been read to them, is true. There is neither Jew or Greek, There is neither circumcised or uncircumcised. There is neither slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. There's no distinction anymore. Just family members under the same father. So treat Anisimus as a family member. Paul's words get harder in verse 17. Uh, He says this, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So don't just treat him like family. Treat him like you would treat me, Paul says. If I showed up to your house, and indeed we find out uh, that it was the plan of Paul to come to the Colossian church. He didn't make it. But the plan was, prepare the guest room for me, because I'd love to come and stay with you. But Paul in verse 17 says, receive him like you would me. What respect Paul would have been given if he showed up. Roll out the red carpet, get, get him the best food, give him the best seat at the table, give him, uh, give him my bed, I've got the best bed, we'll go and sleep in the guest house. Do that for Anisimus. That Paul would ask Philemon to do this is jaw-dropping really, isn't it? And Paul then draws himself into the story in verses 18 and 19. Uh, he says if he's wronged you at all, there's a clue that, that you know he probably has, if he's wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. And then, and, and as if that wasn't enough to say, he stamps it. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me. What does Paul mean when he says uh, to, to say nothing of your owing me? He's basically saying, Philemon, I'm not going to say it, but you know that you wouldn't know Jesus unless you'd met me. You know that. If I came to your house, you'd give me everything. Don't just do it for me. Do it for your runaway slave who stole from you. Do it for anyone who is a part of God's family. Do that for Onesimus. Give him the seat at your table. Why? Because in verses 8 and 9, Paul already said, I'm already bold enough to to command you to do this, but I'm not going to. Do it for love's sake. Do it because you love him. Do it because he is your brother. In a culture where slaves are present and in existence, even in a culture like that, the gospel has to be good news. The gospel has to to be true. It has to be true that there's no longer slave or free. And if that's true, the gospel changes things. The heart of the letter is, verse 16, Onesimus, no longer a slave, 
but a brother. Verse 17, receive your brother like you would receive me. Put theory into practice. Put your money where your mouth is. Practice what you preach. Put the theory of the gospel into practice. Has the gospel actually changed your heart? Welcome your slave who ran away from you and stole from you. It's huge, isn't it? Bring him into community and family because God is his father. Remove the labels. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of a movement. The primary label that Onesimus would have had in that household was useless slave. Change that label. He's now a useful brother. Paul is unwinding a whole system, really, isn't he? Like your social identity could never be the same if Jesus came and did what he did. The gospel changes things. The gospel actually begins a movement where society will change, where Christians are, are one, truly. Give up your time and your money. Give up your everything for him. Why? Because he's not down there. He's here with you. Is it any wonder that Paul finishes the letter in verse 25 asking for grace? There's no way Philemon could do this, at least not on his own. But it's the true test of whether his heart's been changed. He needs God's spirit, or this will never happen. Have you noticed the language of this letter? It is heavily about adoption. Brothers under the same father, God, since God has changed you, so we are all one. The people in this room are your sisters and brothers, your family. You and I uh, are used to saying things like this, aren't we? We've talked about this sort of church stuff all the time, brother, sister, under the one father. But this is not the way the Colossian church would know how to speak to each other. This is jaw-dropping. Are you trying to say to me that I don't have the highest status? Yes, I'm saying that. Are you saying to me that I have to treat people equal like, like myself? Yes, I'm saying that. The slave is my brother? Yes. Go and embrace him. Have a look again at verse 18. If Anisimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to, to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your very self. This is, this is the gospel, isn't it? Think about the gospel. Like, why, why did Paul give the gospel to Philemon? Paul didn't owe Philemon anything. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Jesus didn't owe us anything. But Paul willingly takes the debt of Onesimus, the slave, and promises to pay it all to Philemon. Onesimus is your brother now. Just as Jesus takes the debt of sinners and pays it in full on the cross to God and speaks again, never of it. Galatians 4.7 says that any Christian uh, is no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter of God. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir. What Paul is gently reminding Philemon in verse 19 is that when Paul met Philemon and shared the gospel with him, he was lost. He was a slave. 
But Jesus changed Philemon, and Philemon is now a, a son of God. Philemon, you have a whole new identity. You have the gospel. You have this gift from God. So give the same gift to your slave. You've received the gospel by grace, so give grace. Give what you received. Philemon, you were once a slave, but now you're free. You know that uh, Anisimus has a debt, but do you remember yours? Do you remember your debt? But your slate is clean. So think of Anisimus with a clean slate. You're both part of God's family. Get the wealth that the Father has given you because you're a son of God. Anisimus doesn't deserve this. But do any of us deserve this? That's the point, isn't it? If the gospel changes. Does anyone deserve to be reconciled to God? That's the power of the gospel, that it can happen. That's what the gospel does. So Philemon, go over to your brother, embrace him, see him as family, because he is family. Where in your life are you not giving grace? In your relationships, in your friendships, in your community, where are you not showing grace? You may have complete justification for, for not giving grace, but so do Philemon. There may never be an acknowledgement that you were wronged. Anisimus may never have brought it up. There may have never been an acknowledgement from Anisimus to Philemon. It's not the point though, is it? Take comfort that the good news of the gospel is always that the reconciliation can be found. Always. Way back at the beginning of Colossians, I, I mentioned to us, when we become Christians, Jesus doesn't just stand at a distance and say, welcome to the family, um, it's great that you're here. He's not you know, wa waving from a really long way away. When you're a Christian, you're in Christ, and it means that Jesus is right there with you. He is in there with you, embracing you as a brother even though you've hurt him. He's not distant. He is closer than ever. So Philemon, don't just forgive Anisimus and set him free. Adopt him into your family. Treat him like you would your child because that's what it means to live in Christ. That's what Jesus did for you, isn't it? If you really believe that Jesus loved you, unlovable Philemon, he's calling you to love unlovable people too. So love Anisimus. I wonder who you feel that you are in the story. Are you, a, are you Philemon or are you Anisimus? You know, so, so many of us are Philemon in the story, aren't we? How, could, how can we in love and embrace that person? How could we do that? They've wronged me. You don't, you don't have any idea how much they've wronged me. But actually, all of us are Anisimus, aren't we? We ran away from God. We stole from God. But God, in his love, loved us at our worst and gave us the good news and sent Jesus to die for your sin. That's love. God loved you not because you were lovable. God didn't love you because you loved him back. He loves you because he loves you. That's it. Why? Because he loves you. 
That can't be enough. That's enough. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. So we too have to love. Why? Because we've been given that love. But really, they've hurt us, but we've been given that love. We have to love. We have to forgive. And that's powerful, isn't it? It's radical. That, that's a church living and believing the gospel. That is how movements happen. That's how change happens. That's how culture changes. Everything in us screams that Anisimus should get what he deserves. And Paul says to Philemon, just break it. Break the cycle. Don't think that Anisimus deserves judgment and justice, but instead offer grace and reconciliation with him because God did it for you. And that's the power of redemption. Paul's in prison right now. He's struggling. He's taking up his cross. He's following Jesus and dying to who he is simply so that the Colossians can know Jesus. So Philemon, do the same. Take up your cross, die to sin, die to your pride, and embrace your brother. It's powerful. That's the power of the gospel unleashed. Proclaim, are you ready for the power of the gospel to flow in through your life? Are you ready to see a movement happen where this whole city may actually turn from their sin and trust in Jesus? Are you ready to be a church that actually lives and believes and practices what you preach? It starts with understanding what Jesus has done for you on the cross and living it as you encounter others, actually living it. It starts by dying to sin and pride and embracing Christians who hurt you. Treat them like family because you have a father in heaven who calls you their, their daughter, their son, and calls them his daughter and son. It starts with forgiveness and reconciliation, and it starts with redemption. It's big, but that's the power of the gospel. Do you know the power of the gospel in your life? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you forgive us our pride? Forgive us for the hurt that we cause others. Forgive us for offering justice and judgment to others instead of grace and reconciliation and redemption that you've offered us. We need your grace. We need your help to live like this. Enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus, to put sin to death, to die to our pride and embrace the gospel for real in our lives. Father, there may be people in our hearts that we know we need to be reconciled to again. Would you enable us? Would you remind us that fellow Christians are your children and that they are our brothers and sisters too? And just like you have given grace to us, we need to give grace to others. Lord, would we see a movement of the gospel in our church and in our area where people are coming to you, trusting in you, and calling you Father once again.
We pray all this for our sake and for your glory. Amen.